Voice of Fintech. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech America series. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'm the founder of Voice of Fintech podcast. In this series, you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, investors and incumbents and ecosystem hub leaders from the United States or North America and LATAM. This episode is hosted by David Jakubovic from New York. Welcome back, listeners, to Voice of Fintech. Today, our guest is Duncan Berrigan, who's a Chief Product Officer and Chief Growth Officer of GoCardless. GoCardless has been bridging the gap on open banking all across the world, everywhere from the continental Europe to the United States. And today, Duncan's going to share with us about where GoCardless has been and where they're going. It's really exciting times in open banking. Duncan, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you very much for having me, David. Exciting to be here. Well, I've seen in the last few years, I remember the days of using small apps where you can just get free ATM fees. And now to where open banking is the new normal and GoCardless has been in the space now for almost a decade. Can you share with us a little background about yourself and the company and where you've been? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to. So I joined GoCardless back in 2015. So I've been here for the last six years now. I'll rewind to the beginning of GoCardless a little though, and then obviously take you through a a little bit of of my journey too. So in essence, GoCardless is a network for account-to-account payments. We help businesses and charities get paid directly from where their customers store their money, which is their bank accounts. I know the last 10 years ago, Cardless, we've we've been building, in a way, a a V1, which is the world's first true network for uh, recurring bank-to-bank payments. That's been based on pull payments, so when money is taken out of your bank account automatically when it's due, which is how most people pay their mortgage, for example. Uh, And this is cheaper and more reliable than cards, as well as being the most popular way that people like to make, people and businesses like to make recurring payments, essentially everywhere except for the US. Now, to give you a sense of it, you can sign up with Xero, the accounting software in the US, and then you can pull payments from the bank accounts of customers in 30 plus countries around the world and have it sent to your bank account in um, in US dollars. That's business as we built it, started in London, expanded around the world, early US connection actually, because we're a Y Combinator company, but we expanded across continental Europe and then came to the US and Canada and Australia and New Zealand in, in the last couple of years. And as you mentioned, um, now we're very much moving into V2. So we're expanding beyond those pull payments into really becoming the world's A2A payments network. And that's all based on the rise of banking APIs and open banking, making it possible for us to to push payments to using using flows and APIs. So in a nutshell, it's it's a network that is cheaper, faster, more secure and more reliable. Um, So we can displace the checks and the wire transfers as well as the card. I've seen that firsthand with companies, wire transfers, ACH. Sometimes these payments take a while. There's a lot of nuances. There's failed payments. There's mismatch of numbers and routing. And there's just so much redundancies that are manual. And your team has been automating and streamlining a lot of these processes. Um, You recently announced a new open banking feature, Instant Bank Pay. Can you share with us more about that? 
Yeah, so Instant Bank Pay, we launched, as you say, about a, about a month ago now. And really, it's a new and better way to collect payments directly from your customers' bank accounts. So the idea is that businesses of all sizes can use it to make easy and secure one-off payments um, with lower fees than cards, or they can combine it with, with direct debit, with the pull-based mechanism I talked about to provide an even better way to collect recurring payments. Um, I often think these are better to give give people something they actually experience. So maybe I'll, I'll give an example if that's all right. Um, imagine you're, you're signing up to a new streaming service, something that I think probably most of us and uh, most of the listeners will have experienced. We all want the convenience of getting those fees, fees paid automatically without having to do everything every month. And your merchants obviously want that too. And they don't want to have to cut you off when your card payment fails, which has happened to me a bunch of times with Spotify. Um, paying with your bank account, direct debit, bank debit really wins. But the problem is, what about that first payment? It takes several days to settle when it's pulled from your bank account. And that gives merchants this dilemma. Do you make them use a card for the first one? Do you wait to give them access and say, well, hold on, your account's pending. You can't stream anything yet. Or do you just take the risk and, and risk being defrauded? The idea of instant bank pay is it totally avoids that by allowing you to set up and, and trigger an immediate secure bank payment that settles immediately. At the same time, you're going through a flow and using those pull-based bank-to-bank payments. I think about a lot of the work that I've done in the enterprise space with different startups from single store to general assembly and galvanize. And we work with a lot of enterprise clients. We have recurring payments. We have one-off payments. And when I work with our accounting and finance teams, I'll tell you, sometimes it's a little bit of a complicated process so it sounds like the work that you're doing here will be enabling enterprise customers to be more efficient and effective. Yes, definitely. Uh, people often, people who aren't familiar with payments often ask me things like, are you, are you solving a real problem? And you know, to some degree, obviously, we process more than $25 billion a year at this point. So I think we can have some confidence that we're solving a problem. But uh, what I find surprising about it is that I don't think anyone who works in the business of helping people to get paid thinks it's a an area that doesn't have problems. It's something where the people making the payments tend to assume that this is really straightforward and the businesses don't have problems with it. But as you say, actually, there's a world of pain that exists behind the scenes for all these businesses that, um, that, that you know, don't want the pain of getting paid. Um, so yeah, absolutely. We see a lot on the, the reconciliation and the automation side. It's not just not wanting to have an accounts payable, to, accounts receivable department of 50 people chasing the people who aren't paying. It's also just keeping track of what's going on and the money just hitting people's bank accounts from their card providers, from people sending them checks, from people sending them wire transfers. It's just really hard for people to keep track. Now, with your new uh, product that you announced, the new feature, Instant Bank Pay, can you share with us some of the early traction or the early insights you're seeing from your customers? Yeah, we've been really surprised in some regards at quite the, the diversity of usage that gets. We had a set of, of use cases that we had in mind, obviously a set of problems that we were expecting to solve. And those have been have been borne out. But we've also seen some newer ones that we, we didn't expect to see so much. Um, one of the ones that's been really exciting and one of our early, very early test partners, actually, is a broadband company called Cuckoo Broadband. And we started talking to them about the core case, much like the one I described with the streaming service of how do you cope with the, the first payment and giving people access to this as soon as possible. But they've actually also seen some really fantastic results with using this for, for failed payments. The, the, the payment they're collecting will occasionally, it's a, it's a couple of percent in our case, uh, a couple of percent of those payments will fail. And instead of actually having to wait and, and go through a process to try and collect from them, they actually found that it 
chopped by about two thirds the time it took to get those back because they could just get someone, they could just send a link and someone could immediately click through and um, make that immediate payment to, to make up for it. So yeah, we found that a lot of the tractors come exactly where we expected in terms of you know, things like that first payment. Um, but it turns out 85% of businesses with one-off payments, with recurring uh, payments needs have one-off payments too. And we're seeing all sorts of uses that, that our customers are finding for it, like, uh, like recovering those failed payments. Now, I've been talking about so far during the episode about big enterprises, but GoCardless can be for pretty much any company, right? Especially small and medium businesses. I think about here in the United States, if you're running an Amazon merchant business, or if you're working with Etsy and Shopify and other use cases like that, would those be good use cases to partner or use the technology from GoCardless? Yeah, we actually began as a business serving smaller companies. So the very early days of GoCardless were all about helping small businesses to get paid because they can have some really transformational experiences when they can get the hang of this and, and not have to spend their time with you know so few people in the organization. Spending time chasing payments is a real pain for them. So yeah, small businesses, both for our existing product, it's been a, a big part of the success we've seen both in um, in the UK, but then in across Europe, in the US, in in Australia, it's been a really big part of it. Um, Zero is one of our biggest partners of the accounting software, and uh, the results we see together are absolutely fantastic. We see um, the average invoice getting paid fourteen days faster when GoCardless and and Zero are used together versus Zero as a as a platform. So we're seeing some absolutely fantastic results there. Um, and in actually, in, in some of the early uptake of Instant Bank Pay itself too, we're also seeing lots of innovative small companies who are leaping on this new technology that many of the large businesses aren't using yet, but you've got a personal trainer who's now using it uh, when they have someone who wants to order an extra session in the gym. You, you, you've got the, the sole trader, um, personal trader, who's leaping on the back of the latest technology, which I always, always really enjoy seeing such small businesses right at the forefront of, of payments tech. And thinking about um, customers for the product, so there's a big movement in the industry about product-led growth and SaaS and you know subscription businesses. I'm sure there's been a lot of growth that you've seen with your customers there as well. Um, why have you seen the SaaS business to be really successful as a good use case for GoCardless as well? So product-led growth has been a big part. I'll pick up on that first, perhaps, then we can talk a bit about SaaS and first, right, David? The, the product-led growth part has actually been really big for us. And as as my title of Chief Product and Growth Officer suggests, uh, is an area I'm passionate about. The way I've, I think about it is that there's sort of two main aspects to it. One is just, uh, I'm a big believer in the 10x better product theory. And you see this, it came out of some of the, the YC partners, I think, were some of the earliest proponents of it. But when I think through the products that I use personally, so many of them were recommended to me by someone else because they were 10x better than the thing that they were using before. And we've really benefited from that at GoCardless. Like a big proportion of good, around a third at least of our growth has always come from people who were directly recommended from an existing user. So that's been a huge part of it. Uh, but the other bit that we've been investing more in recently is how we can change and improve our product in order to drive growth. Uh, so that's where we benefit from things like a growth loop where the payers of the businesses that use us experience a checkout flow and they think, what's this GoCardless thing? Oh, how, maybe I can use this to get paid. And then they come back as merchants and then they create more payers and it turbocharges it. Um, we definitely believe that the world of payments, because it's got that sort of two-sided aspect to it, is one that has a lot of promise and potential for product-led growth. And so with that, let's dive into the payments landscape. There's payments globally, everywhere from the United States to the UK and Europe. What are you seeing about the landscape today that excites you? 
The biggest part that excites me by far is is the rise of account-to-account payments and very much the rise of these new ways of triggering payments using API. Open banking, it's called in many places. It has a, has a variety of different names. Um, it's one that sort of in most places has come out of regulatory pressure and the desire to open up for competition access to bank accounts and your bank account data and, and the ability to trigger payments is this sort of idea that your financial data is yours and you should be able to use it for what you want. And what that's been doing is making it possible for companies like us to trigger payments from someone's bank account. The instance is where it's the bank pays power, right? It's because the banks have been forced to offer APIs that allow us to trigger payments from their accounts. We're super excited about that because we think that it is, um, it, this is going to be the next trend uh, in payments. We spent 50, 60, 70 years looking at cash turning into cards, but ultimately the card networks in in my mind were designed for an era 50, 19, 1960s era where there were problems with risk, there were problems with information and you had to walk into a shop right and they, they would phone and see if the card that you had in your hand was actually a real card and could they could they give you the shoes in the in the store. But the internet's changed all of this. Now you can have information transferred in real time. And it's also powered these real-time payments that you see in a lot of the, the world. And you combine all of this together and you have the genesis of a way of not needing all these um, intermediaries, a way of just transferring money between where people store the money and where the recipient wants it. Um, and I think that when you put these trends together, I think what you're going to see is a really, a really long-term shift towards more direct means of making payments. So for me, that's the number one, playing out differently in different places around the world. But I think we're starting to see signs of it everywhere. And the United States has been slower to open banking. Um, I'm sure you've seen, Duncan, that maybe COVID has been the accelerator for open banking in the States. But the big question now we hear a lot today on CNBC and Bloomberg TV is, are we ready? What will we need to make open banking successful in the U.S.? I think, I'll, I'll be honest, David, the rest of the world, I think we all look at the US and think it's a little crazy land of its own when it comes to payments sometimes. Um, I often find it's amazing what you don't know about other countries' banking systems until you start getting into it. But prior to our US launch, there's certainly a lot I didn't know and understand about the the very different world of US payments. So I think it, it, I don't find it very surprising that this is playing out differently in the US. Um, sometimes I refer to the US as closed banking because um, it's not coming from from the regulators. It's not coming from a mandated set of APIs that all the banks have to offer, the, the thousands of banks in the US. Um, so I think as is so often the case in payments, the US is taking its own path. I, I think it is going to become a major thing in the US, but it'll take a slightly different one. It's still a nascent concept. When we ran a survey and more than half of Americans said they had no clue what open banking was, as an example. So you can see that um, the, even the terminology is emerging differently. But ultimately, we do think that it's going to solve problems that Americans currently face and that there will be, whether it's from the market, whether it eventually comes from the regulators sometime, there will be pressure for it to do it. I take one example. We found 61% of Americans think it's a hassle to update the payment details of all their regular expenses, streaming subscriptions, all of these when they get a new credit or debit card. And the, the combination of instant bank pay and, and bank debit that I talked about obviously is a way of overcoming that so that they don't have to they don't have to make those changes. So we think it'll solve real problems, but it's certainly not something there's a lot of awareness of yet. And it's also not something where the regulators have stepped in. So I think it'll take a little bit of a different path, but it will it will come in line with the rest of the world a little bit more eventually. 
And so then taking a turn to the global audience, Duncan, the fintech ecosystem continues to um, expand, especially globally. You've seen a lot of these trends, not just in the pandemic, but the past 10 years. Um, Can you share with us more about your experience in Europe and the United Kingdom with fintech and why fintech is so important in Europe? I think it's been a a really amazing experience to see fintech go mainstream, even over my time at GoCardless. I've been here since 2015 now. And now sometimes if I say the word fintech, people who aren't in fintech know what I mean, which feels like a revelation in London compared to the days of, of 2015. So I think it's been really remarkable to see how much traction it's got in London in particular and in Europe more broadly. My sense personally is that it's still... It's going fast. It's still nibbling at the overall revenue pool when you look at the entire financial services industry. But I do think we're starting to see signs that the the next phase is approaching. I think it's already upped the quality of digital experiences that most people experience in in financial services, whether because they're using a fintech themselves or because it's challenged some of the incumbents to to up their game. Um, But I think the next phase is going to be where you start seeing the impact of things like central bank digital currencies, I think, have the real potential to shake up what a bank is in the first place. And maybe that has a really profound impact on the system. So yeah, it's it's been fantastic to see the growth. I think it's very far from done because we're still such a small part of such a massive market. There was as GoCardless in the payments market and fintechs as a whole. Uh, but it's been really awesome to see it grow in Europe in, in my time in that world. Yeah, so looking at the industry as a whole, Duncan, there's exciting product features that you've built at GoCardless in the last few years and the last few months. Looking more out to the next few years and even Moonshot projects, can you tease for our audience some of the exciting things to come? I'd love to. We're incredibly excited about the next phase of GoCardless and all of the new uh, products and features that we have coming up for, for our customers. I think the the first category I can share more is this point we've been discussing around open banking, around account-to-account payments, those push payments for our banking APIs. This is very much just the beginning for us. Um, We see both increasing numbers of countries come online with um, these possibilities of getting access to data from bank accounts, triggering payments directly from bank accounts. So we'll be pushing hard, both in terms of expanding the number of countries where this works and adding more and more features in terms of how we use it. The second part, though, I think is that the combination of the push and the pull, the bank debit and the open banking is one of the things that we find incredibly exciting. And one of the other concepts that's a big part of our future is what we call payment intelligence. This is about using the data that we have in our network from all the usage that we see at the bank account that we see, whether we're pulling money from it or whether it's being pushed with open banking. Um, There's so much potential to use that to improve the outcomes for both the payers and the merchants. So we launched uh, a product called Success Plus last year that was our first payment intelligence product. That was all about reducing the problem of failed payments which are really painful for individuals and businesses that are making the payment because they can be charged really high fees for doing so. And obviously painful for the people collecting them because they don't get paid and they have to chase. Um, So Success Plus tackled that and 70, 80, 90% reduction in um, increasing the the performance of recovering from those failed payments and, and, and getting the money back. But there's a lot more to do on payment intelligence as well. So that comes in terms of products tackle problems like fraud, but also really excitingly for us and, and for our users, combining that those, those different mechanisms and saying, okay, how can we use the data to judge whether you need to 
trigger a payment with bank authorization for that or whether we can just pull the money from their account because we've seen them 50 times before and they always pay every time. Why add the friction? Um, so the payment intelligence is a super exciting part of, of how we can bring better value to everyone. Um, and then the uh, the third part really is our continued expansion of our network and our business geographically. So we're live across 30 plus countries in Europe, North America and Australasia. Um, but there are obviously plenty of more countries in the world and we're excited to be continuing to expand our, our network and our footprint. So yeah, all sorts that we're really excited about for our users, but I think those three across the open banking and A2A, across payment intelligence and across expanding the network are certainly three really big parts of it. And if I'm a customer or an enterprise and I'm looking to learn more about GoCardless, what call to action would you share for our Voice of FinTech listeners? I think that payments are a massive multiplier for your business. And that when you, sometimes people think about payments and they say, well, how much am I spending? Am I spending half a percent, 1%, 2%? But if you flip your mindset and say, well, how much am I losing due to churn? How much am I losing due to poor conversion? Then my call to action to any business that collects payments, which is essentially any business, let's be honest, is that you have to recognize that payments have so much more potential in your business than the cost of collecting them. And there's so much more you can do by working on things like conversion and churn and payment failure. If that sounds interesting, come talk to us. You can find us on our website. You can come talk to the team, but we're huge believers in um, the power of payments to transform business outcomes. And we, we love talking to people about how we can uh, really make a difference to the metrics that matter for their business. Excellent. Well, this has been a talk on the future of open banking in the U.S. with Duncan Barrigan, the Chief Product and Growth Officer at GoCardless. Duncan, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.